Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with the awesome Najahi events. More about them later. What could you accomplish if your mind didn't hold you back? Today I'm getting us the answers we need to achieve our biggest goals and dreams. Our guest, John Asaraf, knows success. John is a behavioral neuroscience researcher who has built five multi-million dollar companies, written two New York Times best-selling books and is featured in eight movies. Along the way, he learned the important role that our minds play when chasing our dreams. Today, he's the founder and CEO of Neurogym, a company dedicated to using the most advanced technologies and evidence-based brain training methods to help individuals unleash their fullest potential and maximize their results. His latest best-selling book, Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power, helps individuals recognize and release the mental and emotional unblocks that prevents them from achieving their life's biggest goals and dreams. Today, I want you to all sit back and listen closely. The information we're about to receive today may help you unlock a part of your brain and bring you untold success. Well, it seems to have taken a long time to try and get you to come on our show. So first of all, thank you for coming on the show. At last, we've got you. And while I've got you here, I'm going to go, John, into some areas that, that maybe a typical podcast won't go into, okay? I'm probably going to drill into uh, to parts that are relevant now and then go back and dig up some parts if we can do that too. But when someone says the word neurogym, that really gets me thinking. And that in a really positive way, because I, hey, I do the physical stuff. I go to the gym in the morning every day at 5 a.m. I work out, so I do the physical gym. I don't know how to do that with my brain, though. So how did that come about? I mean, great question. It's, uh, it's wonderful to finally be here. Um, many years ago, I was watching a guy by the name of Jack LaLanne. Um, you know, talk about exercise and, you know, strengthening your physical muscles and your internal organs and ligaments. And I was thinking to myself that what he does for the body for many, many years on a daily basis, I actually did for my brain. And I called that inner size. So when I was very, not very young, but 1920, I had a, a mentor, which uh, I'll share the story if we have time today about how that came about. And every day he had me doing what he called were mental strengthening exercises. And, um, and I just became obsessed with the human brain and, and how I changed and how I got mentally stronger and emotionally more stable. And um, so I started to inner-size on a daily basis, achieved a little bit of success in my life, um, and overcame some failures and some challenging times. And so when I was in the giving back years where I got into the personal development arena, started writing books, I wanted to have a company that really focused on what I call is the inner game. And so I started myneurogym.com, Neurogym, and, um, and created inner sizes to help people strengthen their mind and emotional skills. So they take inspired action. They know how to overcome the things that may be holding them back, uh, which is what I did and what I learned and what I've studied for 40 years now. Now, Many years ago, I believe that you were in the real estate industry and you built a really successful business. But what, what I understand is you, you took it from a kind of certain level where everyone was trained well, everyone was given the same tools in their toolbox and the skills and the opportunities to go out and become successful. Got frustrated 
understanding that all of those things that you were given actually didn't make a difference for everyone. And then decided to go on a journey of working how you could get people that could achieve great things to understand themselves what their potential was. Sure. So um, I left high school in grade 11, failed English, failed math, didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I had this chance meeting with uh, a gentleman that my brother introduced me to who was very successful in real estate. And he had, uh, I think, seven or so real estate offices, 500 agents, and they were doing well. And um, he um, uh, became my first mentor. And after working with him for a few years, I went off on my own to say, hey, now that I know how to sell a little bit of real estate, uh, I'm going to start my own company. And so I bought the franchising rights for Remax for the state of Indiana. And I had a new set of mentors who taught me how to franchise, what to do, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it. Basically, they gave me a blueprint to follow. And I was a good rule follower. Said, do this and this and this, I would do it. Uh, maybe because I didn't know what I should do, so I listened to what somebody else said would work. And so I just did it and I achieved some success. But five years later, uh, we had built a very successful real estate company and we got to becoming the number one real estate company in the state of Indiana. And we had probably about uh, 40, 50 offices, about seven, 800 agents, and we reached $1.2 billion a year in sales, which is great. However, for the amount of training we used to do for the agents on here's closing techniques, here's you know how to prospect, here's how to do listing presentations, uh, here's how to work with investors, here's how to do every part of real estate that you wanted to do, we noticed that agents got stuck. People just got stuck earning a certain amount of income regardless of how much training we did, how much coaching we did, how many books we gave them, how many you know cassettes we gave them to listen to. And so it dawned on me that we're stuck not because of our training, we're stuck because of something else. And I remembered my mentor when I was 19, 20, 21, 22, every single day, he had me looking at my vision that I wanted for my life, no problem. He had me look at the goals I wanted to achieve for the year, no problem. But then he also had me doing something every single day. And that was reading my goals, putting my fingers across my goals. He had me reading affirmations. He had me visualizing myself at the level of success that I had written in my goals. And when I used to ask him, like, why am I doing that? He says, because you have to train your brain to the level you want to be at instead of reinforcing the level you're at. He says, your body will only go where your mind already has been. And so I didn't know this then, but at the same time, uh, that's what Olympic athletes did to train their brains. They would visualize because visualization was simulation. They would repeat patterns because pattern repetition equals permanent patterns in the brain. And what happens, and everybody knows we have this conscious mind that sets goals, and everybody has heard and knows that, but our subconscious is really the power center of our brain. Well, how much time do you spend investing on programming, conditioning, training, the power center, the subconscious mind? And very few people do, but that's what I did in my early years. And so here's what happened. I invited 
all of our agents to participate in a brain training program for six months where we would upgrade their identity to match the new destiny they wanted. We would upgrade their knowledge, their skills, their self-image, their beliefs, their habits over a six month period of time to match the goals that they had. So instead of having their goals on a piece of paper on their computer as something that they hoped for and wished for, we actually created an inner game process to level all of the neural patterns in their brain. And I had 75 of my 700 agents or so say, yes, we'll do this and invest $3,000 for the coaching. And then for the next six months, all we did on a daily basis was a little bit of what I call is inner size, visualization, meditation, mindfulness, affirmations, uh, writing stuff out, uh, acting as if, mental contrasting, and a variety of different things. And here's what happened that is, I mean, it was pretty phenomenal. We tracked their behavior every day for six months. We didn't tell them what to do. All we did was train their brain to a higher level of self-image and performance. And over the next six months, compared to the six months before, the year before, they increased sales by $100 million, which means each of them made an average of $50,000 more than they normally made for a six-month period of time. So as you can imagine, I, you know, I thought we hit the holy grail of human performance. And so I said, well, let's see if this is you know, transferable for people who maybe don't pay. So I took the rest of our agents. I said, listen, the test went great. These agents have made a lot more money. They're just climbing up the charts of our uh, awards and they're living the life of their dreams now. So I took the rest of our agents who wanted to participate. And over the next three years, 1992 is when this was, to 1995, we went from 1.2 billion a year to four and a half billion a year from 50 offices to 85, from 700 agents to 1,200 agents. And we just went through a rocket ship ride and then we maintained that. And we were by far the number one real estate company in the state of Indiana. So the question is, is it the upgrading of the skills of how to sell that did it? Because we didn't do any more of that. Or was it changing people's brains so they changed their income and changed their self-worth, self-esteem, self-image? to match what they wanted to achieve. And I know for certain, because since then, I've been on this tear around the world, teaching people how to train their brains to a higher level of performance. And it's not just for money. It's not just for money, it's for health and wealth and relationship and career and everything else, because you will never outperform your hidden self image and level of what you expect at the subconscious level. That fascinates me. I mean, you must, at that time when you did that and you got those results, you must have sat there thinking, holy macaroni, look at this. I mean, you, I'd have become addicted to, to, to that whole process if I'd have known those kind I of am. results came out of it. I am. I am. Like, I knew that it worked for me, right? So it's one thing where I can look in the mirror and say, you did this and you did this and, and here's how you changed and here are your disciplines and here's what you did well and here's what you didn't do well. But to take the process and transfer it to that many people, now we have something that becomes much more factual than hope, just hopeful. And now I have you know, hundreds of thousands of students around the world that are training their brain using a variety of our methodologies. Okay, a couple of things there. N number one, I saw a video with Steve Harvey uh, where he talked about 
if you can find the money to go fly first class, okay, no matter what, go find the money and fly first class. Even if you can't afford it, find the money. Because once you fly first class, you won't ever want to fly coach again. And you'll raise your game, you'll raise your levels so that you can get to that place. He said, it's something you need to do. And then, which I think is really relevant to this. And then when I think about the job that you have to do in everyday life, there's a huge amount of resistance to this, isn't there? There's, there's yeah, people so that resist normal. this because of their... So how do, you, how do you then navigate that? Because for me, you know, I've built huge sales teams over the years as well, hundreds and hundreds of guys, okay? And, you know, I have my Jack Welch theory, you know, you've got your top 20% that you give all the one-to-one love, you've got your 60% in the middle that you get your group love, and then you get the 20% at the bottom that probably shouldn't be there. And so taking that kind of Jack Welch type of theory with the sales team, kind of, I've sold myself on that. And the idea of, 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 of not upskilling them with skills, but getting them to think bigger, getting them to, to, to believe they're worth more, getting them to, to believe they can do more, okay, if they just change the way they, they think and they, they, they unwind and, and open up their limiting beliefs, would, right. would, would have been huge, but I never got to that place with everybody. So, you know, I, I always have this, uh, you know, plastic brain on my on my desk to remind me. And, and uh, let me ask you a question. So we just have a little dollar. Do you believe that the human brain is the most powerful bio computer organism that we are aware of on planet Earth? Without doubt. Without doubt. And do you also agree that even with a hundred billion dollars, if I gave you a hundred billion dollars right now, you could not build me one in the next five years that can do what that brain that you have and I have does. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Great. So that means that you already own the most powerful biocomputer in the known world or universe that's worth at least $100 billion. You don't owe a penny on it, no mortgage on it, right? And let me ask you a question. Um, what's the number one priority of this organism that you already own? What's the number two priority of how this organism works? What's number three, what's number four? And I'll put you on the spot to have a dialogue if you don't mind. Sure. The number one is to, is to keep me working, isn't it? Keep me operational, keep me functioning. Keep me alive. Number one is security and safety. Yes. Number yeah. two, okay, is uh, is avoidance of real or potential danger or discomfort. Number three, conservation of glucose so it can do number one and two. And number four, gaining pleasure or reward. So let's imagine a few scenarios of those. That's how this thing operates automatically without you thinking about it. It's an autonomic embedded into your DNA sequence that happens at lightning speeds. So if there's something that you want to do, um, invest in real estate, double your income, start your own business, start your own podcast, write a book, start a, get a TV show, right? Think about what could my brain perceive as risky or danger or dangerous. And so let's say those things are not gonna kill me, got it. But the very next thing that our brain does is, is there any chance, any chance, and this is happening beneath your level of awareness, is there any chance that I might fail? 
bingo, yep, there's a chance here. Motivation decreases, blood flow moves away from the motivational cortex, the behavioral cortex, motivational decreases. Is there any chance that you might be embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, judged, or rejected? Ding, 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 ding. Five bells go off. Guess what happens? Stress level goes up or cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine kick in, right? As a fight, flight, freeze mechanism that prevents you from taking action. So you start to rationalize as a protective mechanism as part of what I call is the law of secondary gain, which means that if I don't take action, I am safe and secure, even in my comfort zone right now that I don't wanna be in. At least I could be comfortable, okay, and safe versus uncomfortable at risk. So when we're dealing with behavior, right, and why I take action or don't take action, we have to go back a little bit in time to ask ourselves, was I born with any belief? Was I born with what's risky and what's not? What might cause me to be embarrassed or not? What, whether I should be afraid of a snake or take a selfie with it? You know, was I born with, you know, if I stand up and give the wrong answer, you know, I might be embarrassed because somebody makes fun of me. Or if I don't do well on a test and I come home and I get reprimanded by my parents and then I go back to school. Like we learned all of these things, which just means that we created neural patterns in our brain that got reinforced. And some of the reinforced pattern serve us and are constructive, empowering and positive. And some of the patterns are destructive, disempowering, and maybe even negative. Now, since it's yours and my brain, we have a brain, my question always goes back to, um, if you believe it's the most powerful biocomputer in the whole universe, do you know how to use it really well? Like what level of operator are you? Are you a kindergarten level operator? High school, grade school, university, pro level, hall of famer, all-star. And most people just have never had the training of how their brain works. Most people don't know that they have absolute control over emotions and feelings like a Hollywood actor or actress can switch from this emotional state to that emotional state in a nanosecond. They're Olympic athletes of emotional control and management. We're mostly victims of emotions and feelings because we've learned how to suppress, we have learned how to hide, we have learned how to deflect versus understand that a feeling is nothing more than the result of neurochemicals that have been released by my brain either as a reward or as a stress response. Oh, that's interesting. So what really holds us back is ignorance, not potential. It's, we just don't know, right? So it's just, we don't know. I don't know that I can uh, get better at my focus. I don't know that my fear of rejection is caused because of a meaning that I have at the subconscious level. I learned at five years old. I don't know that my fear, okay, of being embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, judged, or even failing is because of a pattern that's been reinforced in a part of my brain that works automatically without my awareness to protect me. Oh, really? Now let's become more aware. 
Let's upgrade our skills a little bit so that we can drive our car better, right? So if you think about when you drive your car, um, you're driving, it's a beautiful day, you're having a great conversation with a friend, and all of a sudden a light pops up on your dash. Have you ever taken a hammer and hit the light? No, <laughs> the, light's, the light's a signal. Have you ever considered that emotions are signals? Feelings are signals? And they're all created at a layer for, of your brain that's there to do two things really, really well. Save your life, keep you secure, and keep you avoidance of feeling the emotions you don't enjoy. Oh, okay. So I call that, and you see behind me, I have the, uh, the Einstein part of the brain there, and right over there, I have the Frankenstein's monster, right? And the reason <laughs> I have that is because there's two parts of our brain that are consistently working either together or in chaos against us if we don't know how to get the members of the orchestra to work and play in sync. So we can go to deeper levels of awareness and in that awareness, we can upgrade our skills. And in upgrading our skills, we're like the captain you know, of a ship in high seas, in storms, that knows how to navigate the storms when the storms come. Wow. Well, I want to drop the mic there for that. That fascinates me. Right. So that's, that's a theoretical way to understand it. I love the word you used then, ignorance. Okay, because it really is, when you really think about it, it's just that you don't know, you're ignorant of it, and so you just don't know. So I, I've got a group of companies that I own that has, have done very well and we're very happy with them. But actually, for them to really explode, it might require um, some outside investment. So for lots of people in business and people that I know in business, that's a pretty normal thing to do. But for me, I go, whoa, hold on a minute. If we have outside investors come into the business, I potentially can lose control of this business and I don't want to be in a situation where that can happen. So do you know what? We'll continue to bootstrap. We've done okay so far. We, there's nothing, nothing wrong. It's successful. So let's just stay sure. where we are. But that potentially, that, 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 that pattern that I create by thinking like that potentially limits the upside of what the business could be. So there's the law of secondary gain. Right. So here's how this works from a, a neuroscience, neuropsychology perspective. There's the vision, the goals, the potential of maybe raising money and uh, and doubling, tripling, quintupling, making a bigger impact. And that all sounds great. And when you think about it, you might release some uh, dopamine and you might share it with some friends and, and you high five and, oh my God, that sounds great. You can have so much more impact. Oh my God, do you know the lifestyle you could then live? And uh, you feel good. Uh, but then in the very next second, okay, based on what you have learned to fear, because you weren't born with one fear. So you learn to fear, okay, um, um, somewhere, whether it's parents, grandparents, teachers, stories you've read, things that you watched, you know, on a, on a TV show or a, hear, heard on a podcast where somebody who raised money uh, lost their whole company and the investors took everything and there were fights and, oh my God, who the hell would want that? So what is yours and my brain consistently doing every nanosecond of every day that we're awake? It is taking in information from the outside world 
or it's analyzing ideas that we have from our own imagination. And it is um, going into the memory bank to see, hey, could this kill me or could this be dangerous? And if there's any reference in the memory bank of danger here, failure, embarrassment, loss of control, ridicule, shame, rejected, it percolates up the neurochemicals that will then cause you to say, eh, I really don't want that. So the law of secondary gain says that I will gain by being safe versus gaining by taking the action. Now, here is the question. Are both possibilities true? Possibility one, I will lose control of my company. It'll be a nightmare that I wish I never engaged in. Is that possibility true? Yes. Is the other possibility also true? That I can structure any deal that I do in a way that number one will never happen? Yes. Great. So when we go to higher cortical functions of behavior, okay, and whether I'm going to move towards or away from something, the first thing we want to ask ourselves is, which do I really, really, really want? Well, I really want this. Then the next question is, well, how can I raise money, keep control of my company and not put it at risk that gives me the highest chance of probable success versus probable demise? So now I'm using what I call as that Einstein brain up there to be able to observe both possibilities, to choose an option and to structure through deductive reasoning how I can do this versus that. Now, is it true? And I'm going to go, I'm going to go somewhere different right now for just a moment. I'm going to take you on a, a little side, side trip. Um, is it true that we are, all made, we are all made up of this thing that we have come to know as energy? Yes. Right. So we are made up of hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, mostly. Uh, we're in this solid state. We have this electromagnetic switching station called a brain that takes in light, takes in sound, receives tactile information from our outside world. And is it true that we are also in this thing called a quantum field? I'm going to say yes, because that's what I feel I should answer. I don't know enough. I'm ignorant too much of answering that. Okay, so um, if, I, um, if I give you a glass of water, what's the water made up of? Two molecules H2O. of hydrogen, one molecule uh, hydrogen of oxygen. oxygen. Those molecules together formulate a liquid state called water. Yeah. If, we heat, if we heat the water, we have what? Steam. At 211 Steam, yeah. degrees, at 211 degrees uh, hot water gives you a really nice tea. At 212, it converts to steam, which means the amplitude of the vibration of the water can move a locomotive train. It's in yeah. a different state of frequency. So in the invisible world, the quantum field, the field that we cannot see, we know from a scientific perspective that everything exists in either a wave or a particle. Now stay with me for a moment and let's have a little bit of fun. Wave or particle. Wave is potential, particle is more in the solid state where we can see it and observe it. So is it possible that the greatest gift you and I have is the gift of choice? And what it is that we choose and focus on collapses the wave from potential wave to a particle. So when we are focusing on what may go wrong, okay, 
we are collapsing that wave of possibility and increasing its probability. When we focus on what could go right, we're accessing this quantum field of choice and collapsing a wave of probability. And so where I wanted to take you, you know, on this journey is whatever we focus on is collapsing those probabilities. So always in the field that we live in, in the world that we live in, we are a, living in a participatory universe. The physical state is just one part of the coin. And so when we are focusing on what could go wrong, we're right. And when we're focusing on what can go right and how can I make this the reality, that's the razor's edge that separates those who achieve massive success versus those who achieve good success or don't achieve success. What they focus on and move towards is what causes the reality that we live in and our results. Is that, that's fascinating. I love this. So has that got a lot to do with the questions that we ask, okay, and the language we speak? Yeah, so let's go back. Let's go back to this biocomputer. I can't because biocomputer says, okay, let me prove that to be true. I can because, oh, okay, let me go down that path. It's not possible because this could go wrong and here's my evidence. So what does our brain do? We are co-creating with this biocomputer of ours and the language that we choose opens or closes doors. The emotions that are created by the language creates motivation or procrastination, right? So when we think about the behavior, like the end, the end thing before a result, right? So taking action is a behavior. Not taking action is a behavior, right? Now, if we want to achieve a result, would you agree that in today's day and age, like today, okay, if you want to get healthy and stay healthy, do we know how to do that? Would you agree that in today's day and age, with access to the internet, with access to books, coaches, consultants, uh, YouTube videos, would you agree that just about anything that you and I and anybody that's watching or listening wants to achieve, the how to achieve it exists? 100%, 100%. 100%. So let me show you something that I always have on my desk. If I want to learn a two by two Rubik's cube, I can go to the internet and learn how to do it. If I want to learn three by three, if I'm committed, I can learn. If I want four by four, I could learn. If I want five by five, I can learn. If I want to go for the granddaddy, right, I could learn how to do this if I am committed. If I want to build my business to a million dollars or five million or 10 million or a hundred million or a billion, how to exist. If I want to learn how to have a great relationship, how to connect more spiritually, the how to exist. If I want to have a better career, how to ask for a raise, how to be more confident, how to eliminate a limiting belief, how to manage my emotions better, how to exist, right? Correct. That means that there's nobody here that's watching or listening that should ever use the excuse of, I don't know how. Agreed. The awareness may be, I don't know how, but we must go to the next question. Are you committed to learning how? 
Because if you are committed to learning how, then you could learn the mindset, the skill set, the action set required to achieve any goal you have. That is not the problem. There's only three things that really hold people back. Only three. Number one, we talked about a little bit earlier. You have beliefs that limit you. And in the world of beliefs, right, most people don't even know what a belief is. They know they have them, but they don't know what it is from a neuroanatomy perspective. It's nothing more than a reinforced brain cell network. Now, what do we know about brain cells and networks? Well, we know based on the new science of neuroplasticity that not only can we deactivate, okay, neural networks that may be strong, we can actually create and reinforce a new network with the right process. It's no different than saying, okay, hey, uh, here in Dubai, uh, we're gonna create more roads. We're going to create, you know, islands in the water. We can create new roads, new roads, right? Because of the law of neuroplasticity. We now know that um, limiting beliefs, okay, are nothing more than a reinforced pattern. We now know that your self-image, self-worth, self-esteem will dictate what you do and don't do. Well, were you born with a self-image or self-worth or self-esteem? No, that's also nothing more than a reinforced pattern. Now, could you upgrade, augment, rescript, reshape your self-image using the science of neuroplasticity? Of course you can. And then we've talked about the third thing that gets in people's way uh, as a protective mechanism that's that's inbred in us for millions of years of evolution. And that is the fear signal, the circuit of fear, okay? We know the neuromechanics of what triggers this circuit, what happens to blood flow, what neurochemicals flow into the blood and what the behavior is as a result of that. We also know that we can teach astronauts, okay, who may have disastrous circumstances in space how to stay calm when life is on the line. We know how to train firefighters, how to go into burning buildings that are exploding and stay calm. We know how to train Navy SEALs, how to be underwater in enemy territory where two or three or four of the enemy's SEALs are trying to kill them, how to stay calm so they have the best chance of survival. So the issue isn't that we don't know how to manage our mindset, manage our emotions that drive our behaviors better, the issue comes back to we're not committed to and we are ignorant on how to, all solvable. For all of you that are sitting here right now with me <clears throat> listening or watching to this episode, I know this is resonating with you. I know because it's really resonating with me and I know a lot of you look at me as the successful guy here in Dubai, but this is really resonating. Uh, maybe I'll take another example because this applies so much. I'll take two. I love to ski. My wife is terrified of skiing, okay? So she's terrified of skiing. I love to ski. If I can do anything on a vacation, if my choice is anything, it's to go skiing. Uh, but Anna slipped over on some ice in her heels about 15 years ago, broke her kneecap, and since that moment onwards, she's been fearful 
And all of the reasons you've just explained now, she's going to have to watch this back because I'm going to be like, I told you so. Anyway, and so I see that situation. Another situation I see just related back to business and actually salespeople. I, I, I learned when I was younger that I had three choices to generate leads. So I'm 51 years old. I had three choices. I could cold call, I could network, or I could get referrals. And so I knew that I didn't like cold calling. And actually, I didn't really like networking, going to stand in a, in a room with a bunch of strangers that I didn't know. This was back before we had mobile phones to stare at, you know, forced into conversation with random people. It was just something that I never felt happy about. But I knew if I got referrals, then I wouldn't have to do either of those two things. So networking, cold calling equaled pain. Referrals equaled the solution. I then became, in my industry, the most successful person ever at getting referrals. It was like, I'm not doing business with anybody that doesn't refer me. So that's, that's, that, that's my line there, which meant that I knew exactly how many referrals I needed to get every week so that I could to get in front of the right amount of people and make the amount of sales equal to the target that I had. I could see that as the easiest way to do business. Now, all of the people I've ever worked with, if I said to them, if you had the three options, which would you choose? They say... Referrals, that's the one, Spence. That would be, without doubt, the one. Okay, let me teach you how to get them. Now, go and get them. No referrals, or occasionally referrals, for 90% of them. An inbuilt fear of rejection in case somebody said no. And I would say, the deal is worth $5,000, let's say. Those five referrals you could get are a potential of more than $5,000. The referrals are actually more valuable to you than that one deal. Because if you do that one deal and you get no referrals, you've got no future business opportunity. But if you get five referrals, you do no deal, you've got five further opportunities. Yeah, get it, understand it. I'm on the same page as you, Spence. I agree with you. So how do we how do we get those people to believe and value that and move past the element of rejection, uh, of, sorry, fear of rejection by using sure. your, your processes? Yeah, so um, in the world of sales, which you know I come from as a somebody who learned how to sell at 19, uh, that's called call reluctance. So people have this call reluctance, and the issue is actually not even fear of rejection or failing or call reluctance. Uh, it's the meaning that they give it. So let me, you and I share some similar backgrounds. When I got into real estate, uh, my this gentleman who became my mentor uh, sat me down the first day of of my commission only eat what you kill career, <laughs> right? And he said he gave me a sheet of paper and it had a hundred boxes on the sheet. And he said, okay, box number one said fifteen dollars, box two thirty, box three forty five, box uh, four sixty seventy five ninety one hundred five one twenty one thirty five one fifty, all the way down to fifteen hundred. He said, okay, here's the game you're gonna learn to play. Um, I'm gonna put a phone in front of you, I'm gonna put this book in front of you, and we're gonna to go to the street behind our office over here, and you're gonna look at the, the name of a person, there's a phone number there, and you're gonna call these people that you don't know. And I'm gonna give you a script, so just be patient, I'm gonna give you a script, and here is the game. You're gonna call them, and you are going to say, I'm gonna go back 41 years in my brain right now, and here's what it goes. Hi, this is John Asraf with Allen Brown Real Estate Company. We have somebody who's looking to buy a home in the neighborhood. Have you thought of making a move so we can show our buyers your home? If they said yes, I said, awesome. Could we come over today at three o'clock or would five o'clock be better to get get, um, um, 
familiar with the home so we can explain it to our buyer. If they said yes, we booked the time. If they said no, I said, oh, thank you. Oh, by the way, uh, do you know if any of the neighbors may have talked about making a move? If they said yes, I had another script. If they said no, I'd say, oh, thank you. Oh, by the way, when would you be making a move so we can have it on, on file? So I learned that script 41 years ago. And here's what Mr. Brown says. Now, you are gonna have people who hang up on you as soon as you go hello. You're gonna have people that actually yell at you calling you every name in the book, including swearing, because they're upset you call them because maybe it's dinner time, or they just don't want anybody to cold call them. Let me share something with you. They are not rejecting you as a person. They're rejecting the time you call. They're rejecting, okay, that you're bothering. They're rejecting why, you, they're not rejecting you. So don't take the rejection personally. They're rejecting the offer you're making at the time. So he set a frame for me of when people hang up, yell at me, scream at me, call the office back to say I'm an a-hole. It's not about me personally. So he took away my self-image, self-worth, and self-esteem. And he said, listen, here's what's going to happen. Out of 100 people that you call, five might say I'm interested or I know somebody. 95, no interest, and you're gonna get every possibility in the book. So he gave me a frame by which to make cold calling that took me and who I am, because my, my self-worth and self-esteem, I didn't think I was good enough, smart enough, or worthy enough to achieve the success. So he gave me a frame, he gave me a script, and over the next 18 months, by teaching me two scripts and objection handling answers, I made $180,000 when I was 20. Such a similar story. Why am I sharing yeah, the story with you? Because he trained me on how to think. He trained me on the meaning of rejection. He trained me on how to handle objections. He trained me on how not to take it personally. And he trained me to say, let's make this a game. By the time you get to 100 calls, that's like $1,500 in the bank. It always works. And so I, I said, holy shit, 1,500 bucks. I'm working at the time, Spencer, $1.65 an hour. I quit my job in a shipping department of a factory to go and cold call, okay? Um, people I didn't know at 19 years young. And, and he just gave me the right frames. If we don't train people the right way, like I have a son right now who's 26, who makes 10 to $15,000 a month on commission in sales because he's not afraid of rejection. So I went from you know cold calling to working on in real estate for sale by owners. I learned a script um, then to work out for sale by owners and referral business only. And that's how I started my career in, in, in cold calling so I could make some money. You and, I, you and I have a very similar story. I'm 51, so we're not too dissimilar in our ages either. So it's a, a generation that was very similar. We think about the people when they were trained in that way when they were young and learning to deal with rejection when they're young and learning to approach certain their, their prospects and situations a certain way when they're young. It's something that we found it easy to be, be molded into. It's kind of like our brain was a sponge back then. You didn't know anything, so you could fill it with some great new stuff when you were first in your career. But how do you take that guy that he's 45 years old, okay? He's gone through coronavirus. He's, he's, his industry or his job has been, it's gone. 
Okay, and now he's got to start a new job, a new career. He's dealing with low self-esteem. His confidence is shot to bits. But someone's offered him a job, you know, and he's just got that little light and he's thinking, someone, someone, at least somebody believes in me. How do you, how do you take that 45-year-old and, and, and teach them what you do? And is it as easy to teach that 45-year-old as it is the 19-year-old? It depends on the answer to the question, are they interested or are they committed to the transition and change? If you're interested, you wanna do what's easy and convenient. If you're interested, you don't really wanna change your habits, your mindset. You really don't wanna put the effort to change your skill set. If you're committed, you do whatever it takes. Now, is it easy? No, it's not easy. But if we have a process, it's easier. Right. So think about it uh, maybe a little bit differently. We'll use where, you know, where we started earlier exercise. Right. If you're, you know, 50, 60 pounds overweight, it's not easy to get started. But once you get started, it's easier. So the question then becomes, are you committed? Yes, I am. Let's put together a plan that helps you reinforce the commitment and reduce the resistance. Why do we talk about resistance? Listen, it's very, very natural to resist breaking patterns. Why? Remember the third rule of the brain, conservation of energy? Our brain develops patterns. The patterns that are reinforced became habitual and part of what's called the striatum and hippocampus part of the brain. And those are locked and loaded for automatic triggers and behaviors. So anytime we want to change that, a new job, a new career, a new language, new skills, new environment, oh my God, that's change, change, change to a brain that doesn't want to change. The average person would prefer to master disappointment and their comfort zones versus mastering change. However, if we're committed and we learn a process for change that reduces resistance, increases motivation and increases the reward center of the brain, and we are taught to focus on what we will gain versus what we are leaving behind or losing, those are frames that we can teach people to have a different perspective. And I'm sure you remember Wayne Dyer. One of my favorite Wayne Dyer quotes was when he said, when you change the way you look at something, the thing you look at changes, right? So if we can change the way people look at adaptation, if we can change the way people look at change, and then we can give them the skills to make it easier, then now they feel like they can win no differently than if I asked you, and by the way, uh, skiing is my favorite sport. I had to tell you that. <laughs> but if I asked you, hey, uh, Spencer, and everybody else who's watching or listening, if I said to you, hey, can you jog a marathon right now? Right now. Put on your running shoes. Put on your outfit. Could you jog a marathon right now? And most people would go, no. Like, I'm in pretty good shape. I can't jog a marathon right now and complete it without stopping. But what if we said, hey, let's commit to running a marathon or jogging a year from now. A year from now. And we said, okay, we're gonna commit. Then we said, okay, let's learn together what should our eating plan be? What should our sleeping plan be? What should our training plan be? What should our recovery plan be? And if we put that together, we said, okay, for the first week, let's go easy. 
Let's just, let's just get in motion. And the second week we're gonna do this, and the third week we're gonna do that. Would you agree that if we did the right things in the right order at our level of capabilities right now, Every one of us who's committed could jog a marathon regardless of speed a year from now, right? 100%. 100%. So now it's a function of am I committed and do I have the process? I'm going to come back to that for health, wealth, relationship, career, business. Everything follows, okay, an algorithm. And when we learn the algorithm, it's transferable into every area of our lives. But here's what I'm gonna, I'm gonna say. Unless we are committed, we don't achieve our potential. If we are interested, we achieve what is comfortable. It's really, really, really important what you just said then. It's really important. That one sentence is just so critical. Every one of my students, Spencer, have to agree to one thing. Give me 100 days, full effort, I'll help change your life. Give me 100 days of interest. Don't even bother getting into my orbit. Here's what we know, okay? So I'm gonna come back to showing you my brain, right? <laughs> we know from the latest research, okay? And I go back to neuroscience, neuropsychology. What do we know based on right now? Here's what we know. In order for me to help you or to, for you to help yourself, okay? change a pattern that is driving your thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. A pattern, that's a pattern, right? We call that a habitual pattern. We operate 97, 98% based on our habits. Constructive, destructive, empowering, disempowering, positive, negative, okay? It takes between 66 days and 365 days to deactivate a current dominant pattern that's part of your default mode network or what we know as your automatic self and to create and reinforce a new pattern so that it starts to replace the old pattern. So if we know it takes 66 to 365 days, when you and I were you know, growing up in the world of sales, it says 21 days you know, to create or change a habit. Nope, gone, those days, gone. Throw that out the window, old news. You know, 50,000 thoughts, no, gone. 6,200 thoughts a day, mostly negative. But if you know that in order to develop an empowering, constructive habit that resonates and aligns with your goal, why not commit to what we know will work versus hoping something might? So I ask all my students, give me 100 days at least to help you create the foundation that'll then create you. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Let's say I wanted to become one of your students. How, well, what would you advise me to do? Would you advise me, I mean, you've got, you've got New York Times best-selling books, you've been in movies, where, where would I start? Because there seems, there seems an awful lot. So I'd like to know the process you believe that yeah. I should follow. I mean, it just depends on whether you want to, um, you know, do a little bit of research and see what, what I've got. I would suggest pick up one of my New York Times best-selling books, whether it's Having It All, which is right there on uh, Setting and Achieving Your Life's Goals and Dreams, the Answer, which is about business growth, uh, Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power. Uh, so you can pick up any of my books on, uh, on Amazon. They're in 35 different languages, a couple of them. Um, or if you want to go deeper into the brain science, um, check out something that I do called the Brainathon. 
Uh, I don't know if uh, if you've heard about the Brainathon, but every year I bring a group of experts. Go to Brainathon.com, Brainathon.com. Um, every year I bring a group of experts, brain experts and success experts, to do a free, you know, six seven hour training event on how to maximize your fullest potential, and. On the Brainathon, we teach, we give you amazing content, and if you want to go deeper, there's an opportunity to get involved with something that we call as our Winning the Game of Money brain training and coaching program to really help people re-script, reshape, and recalibrate not their conscious mind, their subconscious mind. So I took all of the evidence-based methodologies to train your brain um, and we have a program for that. And so we have, you know, over a hundred thousand students in that program right now. Incredible. And, and you know what, and if you said to me right now, which I'm sure it wouldn't be, but if you said to me, Spencer, that's a hundred thousand dollars to do that, that would be such a tiny price to pay for something that could unlock so much potential in somebody. Yeah. My, my private pl- clients pay me a hundred thousand for 10 hours of private work. That's my private clients. Most people can't afford that, so I made my programs very, very affordable. Some of them are in the hundreds of dollars. Some of them are $1,000, but worth $10,000, $30,000. So part of the work that I do now is, um, is really seeing how can I get what I have become fairly well known for as a mindset and behavioral expert and help as many people as possible let go of the real obstacles that are holding them back so they can achieve their goals faster and easier. And I don't say fast and easy. I say faster and easier because most of us adults, okay, when we're kids, we just have to make up our minds. When we're adults, we have to change our mind, meaning we have to actually deactivate neural networks and patterns that want to fire automatically as part of the hierarchy of how my brain works to try and protect me, keep me safe. I get that. But in the absence of skill, you know, I think that it's give me more books, give me more knowledge. No, it's not. It's I have to retrain my brain so that it becomes a new permanent pattern that overrides the old automatic pattern. That takes a little bit more effort. And I know it's work. I I get that. But so is staying in shape. So is getting better at skiing. You know, so is sailing. I mean, if you want to get better, there is effort. Now, if you learn how to enjoy it, then it's effort less. You know what? There's something you said on Tom Billy's impact theory the other day I thought really resonated with me because I believe people generally right now in this time and space that we're in want one of these three things, if not all of them, okay? They want to get rich quick. They want to get a million followers fast and they want to lose 10 kilos in the next week fast, you know, lose weight fast. And you said something, not losing weight, you said people release, release. weight. Yeah. And I think that's really, really interesting. Just to just to explain what you mean by that. Let me show you something. I haven't shown this too often, but I, but I, I will show you something about, about um, weight. Remember earlier we talked about everything is energy? Uh, what is weight? One pound is 3,500 calories, right? Well, a few years back, I was um, 243 pounds, which is about, what, 110, 20 kilos, something like that. I was 33% body fat, borderline diabetic, hypertensive, and out of shape. 
So my physical body was really, really suffering and I had a fatty liver to boot because I was drinking way too much alcohol and wine. I wasn't sleeping well and so on and so on. So I said, I'm gonna get into the best shape of my adult life. And I set a goal um, to have a six pack at 60, right? I was out of shape uh, when I started the journey. Uh, this was two weeks ago at 60. That's my get 60th. In, look at you. So at 60, I have the best physique of my entire life. Why? Because I focused on number one, being committed. And then I followed the process of retraining my self-image, retraining my habits, resetting my fat set point in my body. Those are all neuromechanisms in here by applying everything that I've shared with you. So I've done it in business, I've done it in my relationships, I've done it with weight loss and weight release. And then I've shared it with millions of people on in the work that I do. Um, why? Because we have the most powerful biocomputer and organism in the whole world. But if we don't use it well, um, let me give everybody a, a, maybe maybe a final visual that'll put something into perspective really, really well. And so, uh, I'm sure you know, uh, Spencer, what, what, what I mean. Imagine that, um, I want you to imagine your favorite sports car for just a moment. Do you have one, Spencer? What is it? Uh, a, a 1962 E-Type Jack. Beautiful car. So, you know, let's say that that 1962 E-Type Jag can go 120 miles an hour, you know, or uh, 200 kilometers an hour. I'm, I'm trying to do both languages here, right? And imagine at the factory, one of the mechanics puts a governor, okay, on the engine that only allows it to go 20 miles an hour. It's capable of 120 but it can only go 120 miles an hour. And you get the car and you're so excited and you keep hitting that gas and the car just will not go more than a 20 miles an hour. And you go, what the heck is wrong with this? The potential of this car, it says it's supposed to go 120, mile, uh, 120 miles an hour. And so you call the, the, the um, uh, car dealership and go, what's going on? This car's not going more than 120. And the guy says, well, we put a governor on it so that you would only go 20 miles an hour. Let me share something with you. Limiting beliefs are the governors of your brain. Fears that you don't know how to manage are the governors of your brain. Having a self-image that keeps you stuck at a certain income level, certain weight, certain relationships, certain expectation points for your business is the governor on your brain. What if you can discover how to take off the governor? That's what I play in, is showing people how to do that for health, wealth, relationships, career, business, because you and I and everybody in, in listening right now is only limited by the variety of governors we have on our brain, specifically our subconscious set points. Wow. I've done 160 episodes of this podcast and I think this one is my favorite. And I wasn't expecting that. John, this is fabulous. Fabulous stuff. For all of you listening and watching this right now, I want I want to know what you think of this. Send me some comments on this kind of stuff as you're watching. Okay? I want to share them with John. I think this is really, really special. What do you think about what he's sharing here tonight? Because, gosh, it's so important, isn't it? Goodness me. This John, is, I can't thank you enough for taking the time for coming to talk to me today. You, you literally are 
you just put across some of the things, and I know we all kind of compartmentalize things and we all kind of position things in our brains in certain ways and we overthink some things, we underthink other things, we worry about things. But it's, it's when you put it as simply as that and knowing that actually you can go and find someone that could teach you how to get out of your funk, get out of your position, get out of your limiting self-beliefs, which we all know we've got, Okay, and stop looking at that person that's driving the sports car or living in the big house or having the successful business and realize that we could actually have that ourselves if we would just peel back some of these things that stop us going where we could go. Thank you, Spencer. Uh, it's a joy. And um, let's get together. Bloody hell, if you're going to be in Dubai, I would love to buy it. My wife and I would love to take you and your other half out for dinner. It would be an absolute pleasure. Ladies Done. and gentlemen, John Asaraf on the Spencer Lodge podcast. Well, what a fantastic episode that was with John Asaraf. That was one of my favorite episodes, I think. What a guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. I really got him and I really, really resonated with what, what he was talking about. So hopefully it's been resonating with you as you've listened to it too. Some people click with us, don't they? Some people just click. And when they click and you get them and you feel them and you understand them, you can really understand the message. If you listen to this episode on iTunes, then please leave me a five-star rating. You've no idea what it means to me when you do. If you're listening to this on any other podcasting platform, show some love, please. Leave a like, leave a follow, whatever you can do, because the more of those we get, the more of this content gets out to a larger audience. So I really need you just to do one little thing for me and help out. And if you do, guess what? Everybody wins. I'll see you soon on the next episode of the Spencer Lodge Podcast. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi events and Najahi tribe. Now, Najahi sounds like an unusual word, and it is, but it's Arabic for my success. And Najahi have brought some of the world leading public speakers, motivational speakers, inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years, and Abu Dhabi, mind you. And Najahi brought, I don't know, people like Tony Robbins, ever heard of him? Okay, Nick Vujicic, no arms, no legs, no worries. Lisa Nichols, Prince EA, Jay Shetty, Alicia Keys, and people like this. And they bring them in and they run events. And from those events, we go and we learn from these incredible people. On top of that, they launched the Najahi tribe recently where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers that literally you can join, become a member of, take advantage of a training from all of these different people, like real experts in their field. I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoy these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I events.com. I'll see you soon.